Good morning, Rocky Peak. How are we doing today? Well, wasn't that uh, amazing time of worship today? Just incredible. Uh, so good to be here together and to be worshiping. I'm just, I'm just excited uh, to see what the Lord does. Hey, Rocky Peak. Are you ready? Count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, thank you so much. Hey. When you get the email this week from Michael that we've all been fired, it was worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I was just thinking, I think I've got away with it. And uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, it was not to be. Uh, so <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good to be with you. And uh, yeah, it is my birthday. It's a very special day. It's been a special weekend. And we had an amazing service last night. And I, I'm just excited to see what God's going to do. Um, I, I was, we were praying backstage before that service. And what I was praying is, Lord, will you call the church to attention today? Will you call the church to attention that the Lord is in the house? The Lord is in the house, amen? And that's what we've been learning throughout this series is that when the the people of God come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, that the power of the Lord is there. Amen? Amen. And so I, I just, this continual sense that God is on the move. He's doing something new in our church. I'm continuing to sense it. It's like a fresh wind is blowing. And uh, so we want to set our sails um, to catch that wind. Amen? Amen. And so, so I don't know, you know, if it's your first time here, um, if it's uh, your thousandth time here, that in the name of the Lord, I want to call us to attention today that the Lord is in the house. Amen? And so we're going to gather around his word is a holy, his sacred, his inerrant, his powerful word. And we're going to see what the Lord says. And then we're going to come before him and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen? Amen. So let's, let's go before the Lord and let's pray. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to take out that message note sheet. We'll definitely need that today. So let's pray together. So Lord, we just acknowledge that you're in the house Like Lauren started this service, Lord, by talking about that first temple that was built and how David led the way and the people gave generously to build a place where your presence can reside. And as we've learned in this series, Lord, that the temple is no longer a building, that we are the temple, and that when the people of God come together, that the Lord uh, is in his house and that the power of the Lord is there. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would manifest your presence today by taking your word that without the work of your Holy Spirit remains like dead words on a page, but with the power of your spirit breathes life and power. Lord, as I was praying backstage that this this letter that we're reading says that the, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but it consists in power. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that, that it's your presence and your power 
that takes a normal gathering and turns it into a supernatural gathering. And so, Lord, we come as your people today, acknowledging you as our King, as our Lord, as our Savior. We, we acknowledge we belong to you. We've come today not out of habit. We come today not to go through the motions or check it off a list. We come as the people of God, assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, to hear the word of the Lord, our King, and the head of his church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you're coming with expectancy today. Because I know the Lord is here, and I believe he's going to speak. So our story begins today. I'm in the hill country. It's a, it's a dry, it's a dusty land. It's a place where uh, not a lot of rainfall and um, not a lot of vegetation. And on this particular day, he's called in for a surprise assignment, um, one that he didn't see coming. But he's, uh, he's charged with a very special mission, a task. And he's both excited and challenged at the same time, because on the one hand, um, he's excited to get out of his normal duties and to head off on a new adventure. But on the other hand, it's, it's not only some danger involved, but it's, it's actually very challenging. Um, it's going to take some, some, some time. It's going to take some ingenuity. It's going to take perhaps a stroke of luck. All he knows is their last known uh, location. And with that, he's going to head out in search of this team. And so on this particular day, he gets up and he heads out, and he knows it will take at least several days to find them. And um, he does have that stroke of luck. He runs into a stranger that has spotted them. And so he gets some new directions, and finally comes that moment when he comes over the crest of the hill, and he can see them in the distance, see their party in the distance. He's excited that he's been successful on his mission. He'll be able to carry the important message that he's been given well, little does he know as he approaches this team that his life is about to change, that a disaster is awaiting him, and the trajectory of his life will never be the same. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now uh, forever that's uh, called Christ, Culture, and the Cross. And don't get your hopes up, forever lasts forever, right? <laughs> Christ, Culture, and the Cross. And for those of you who are brand new here, whether you're joining us here in the Worship Center, maybe out on the nice cool patio today, um, that for, for those uh, are new, uh, this is an in-depth study of one of the most important letters for our time, um, a letter from one of the leaders of the early church of Jesus. His name was Paul, or we call him the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of Christ followers, Jesus followers, that he and his team have personally led to Jesus about three years before um, in a very important strategic Roman city in the southern tip of Greece. The name of the city is Corinth. It's about 80,000 people, 100,000 in the region. And, uh, and so he's, he's writing to them, and so we call this letter the letter of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we have, we've entered into this second major section of the letter that starts at chapter 5 and goes through chapter 7. Today, we're going to enter into, uh, continue our journey through chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's open up and turn on to um, 1 Corinthians 7. There in your note sheet, 
is a section called Christ, Culture, and the Cross, the sidebar. And we'll just be covering verses 17 through 24. So let me set it up before we jump in. So what we've learned in the last few weeks is that recently the church of Corinth, it's about 350 miles away from the apostle Paul. They're in Greece. He's on, he's in the, um, the kind of on the coast, the major cosmopolitan city of Ephesus, uh, modern-day Turkey. So the Aegean Sea is between. So they've sent him an official letter from the church with some very specific questions about how to follow Jesus in the midst of their very pagan culture. And one of the questions that they've asked him has had to do with marriage, marriage, um, sex in marriage, uh, divorce, remarriage, and uh, singleness, and so on. And so the last couple of weeks, he's been addressing different groups in the church according to their station in life, their marital station in life. He's talked to those who are married. He's talked to those who are unmarried. He's talked to those who are single. He's talking to those who are married, but married to a non-believer. And, um, and so next week, he's going to continue on talking to those in the church who are single, but have never been married. But before he does that, he gives a very important sidebar where he lays out a key principle that underlies all of his instruction to all of the groups. And so it's, it picks up at verse 17, it goes through verse 24, um, and he's going to introduce this key concept that is really critical for us as followers of Jesus to understand if we're going uh, to learn how to listen and follow him, live out his vision for our lives, uh, kind of here and now. And so we'll pick it up in verse 17. He says, nevertheless, or in the Greek, it could just be translated so. He said, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has what? Assigned to them. So can you underline that in your Bibles or highlight it? He says, so this is the key principle. He says that when you come to Jesus, and I want you to catch it, when you come to Jesus... This is the principle. You don't have to change your station in life to become more spiritual, to grow and thrive spiritually, or to serve him well. He says, well, what you need is a new perspective, that whatever situation you find yourself in when you were called, when you came to Christ, he says, that is your new assignment. So you don't need a new position, you need a new perspective, right? And so he goes on, and he's going to say that three times in this short passage. So he says, um, this is the rule that I lay down for all the churches. So what we've seen already a couple times, we'll see it a couple more times in this letter, the church of Corinth has a very inflated view of their own spirituality, they see themselves as extremely spiritual, very wise. And we've seen earlier in the letter, the opposite is the case, that they're like spiritual babies. And so they often tend to think that because they're so wise, they can kind of create their own version of Christianity. And so throughout this letter, Paul will tell them many times, hey, this is the rule I laid down for all the churches. There's nothing special about you. You need to align yourself with this teaching. And so he's, he's going to, um, he, so up to this point in the letter, he has talked to them about their marital stash, station in life. life. Are you married? Are you single? Are you married to a non-believer, right? And so this principle that he's just laid out 
um, that whatever station in life you find yourself, you don't need to change it. That just becomes your new assignment. He, he's going to begin to say that's true not only in terms of your marital status, but in terms of your life in general. And he's going to give a couple illustrations of, to, to illustrate this. One is a religious illustration from about their background, and the other is a socioeconomic illustration. All right, so the first illustration deals with the religious, uh, is a religious illustration. So he says, so for example, was a man already circumcised when he was called? In other words, were you a Jew or were you a man who converted to Judaism? So if you wanted to convert to Judaism uh, full on, then you needed to get circumcised. So he says, was a man already circumcised when he was a Jew, when he was called? When he, were you a Jew or a convert when you came to Jesus? And he said that he should not become uncircumcised, right? So this is great news. Um, and some of you are saying, like, what is this, some kind of uh, reassignment uh, gender thing here going on here? Like, how is that even possible to be uncircumcised, right? Um, and, and I'm not going to go into too many details here, but, but actually, there was a surgery in the ancient world. It was a very painful surgery to kind of reverse the effects or the looks of circumcision, and you say, well, why would someone do that? Well, in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, that circumcision was seen uh, by most of society as a mutilation of the body. So the Greeks loved the body. You think of all the, the artworks, they loved the body, and they saw circumcision as a mutilation. So there were some Jews who had been circumcised, but they wanted to be more accepted by the prevailing culture. Uh, they were more liberal, they would actually go through this surgery so that they would look as if they were uncircumcised in a culture where men would often spend time together in the nude. So, for example, in bathhouses or sometimes in sporting events and things like that. So Paul says, hey, uh, were, you, uh, were you circumcised? You don't need to become uncircumcised. We'll talk more about this in a second. But he says, and it goes the other way as well. He says, was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. So in the early church, this was a huge issue because, of course, circumcision to Jews was a sign that they were the chosen people of God. And there were many people in the early church, we called them the Judaizers, who would come along after Paul shared the gospel that you just need to be saved through Christ, and they would say, hey, if you're a Gentile, it's great that you, you want to follow Jesus, but if you want to really be saved, you need to become a Jew. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the, the law of God in order to be like the religious laws, the eating laws, to be fully saved, to be saved. And so Paul is saying, no, he says, hey, you need a new perspective on circumcision. Now that Jesus has come, uh, you, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved, right? So it goes kind of both ways. And now he's, next he's going to give, and so notice what he says next. He says, so circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. He said, keeping God's commands is what? is what counts. And so he says, hey, what matters now is you've come to Jesus, you're trusting him for your salvation, you've truly come to him as your Lord, and you're following him, you're listening and following and obeying what he says. That's what really matters. And then he says again, notice he reiterates for a second time this key principle. 
He said, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Again, you don't need to change your station in life, uh, whether it's maritally or whether it's uh, 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 religiously, in order to serve God, to be spiritual, to walk well with God, to, to serve him well. Okay, now he's going to give his second illustration of the same principle, and this deals with socioeconomic status. So in the ancient world, uh, slavery was a big deal. Uh, most scholars estimate that catches as much as 30% or perhaps more of the Roman Empire with slaves. So think of that, three out of every 10 people in the Roman Empire were slaves. So, so most slaves, how did, how did you become a slave? Most slaves became slaves when Rome would conquer a new region, and then the people uh, in that region then would be enslaved to Rome. They'd be sold as slaves into Rome. And then once they're sold into slavery, their, ch their children are the continue in slavery, right? So, so in the early church, there were lots of slaves. So picture this, you've come to Jesus and you want to serve him as your Lord and Savior, but you're a slave and you're wondering, can I really serve him as a slave? Do I need to like run away? Do I need to uh, kind of somehow get free in order to save him? And Paul's going to say no. So he says, were you a slave when you were called? He said, don't let it trouble you. He said, although if you can get your freedom, do so. So much like when he talked to singles earlier, and he said, hey, if you're single, you don't need to be, get married to, to be more spiritual. Um, he says, but if you want to get married, that's fine. He gives them the option. So here he says to slaves, do you, do you have to become free in order to serve Jesus well? No, he says, but if you have the opportunity to, to get your freedom, uh, go for it. He says, but what you do need is a change in perspective. And he said, for the, the one, uh, verse 22, for the one who was a slave when called to faith, when you came to Jesus, and the Lord is the Lord's freed person. You now belong to him. And yes, uh, it looks like you're someone else's slave, but ultimately you report to someone else. You're the Lord's free person. And similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's what? Can you underline that? He says that if you are free when you came to Jesus, you are now Christ's slave. Now, isn't this interesting? This is the second time in this letter that Paul has said this. In 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul was talking to us about uh, sexual purity and the importance of sexual purity, how sexual immorality is a, is a non, you know, sexual purity is a non-negotiable, do you remember he said, hey, you don't belong to, your bodies don't belong to you anymore. Do you remember that? He said that, that you, you were bought with a price. So honor God with your bodies. And then when, can I say this, just a quick sidebar on Paul's sidebar? <laughs> I, I believe this goes to the heart of why many of us don't hear God's voice in our life. This goes to the heart of why many of us feel like we're not experiencing the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our life. That this goes to the heart of why many of us kind of struggle along our Christian life and never seem to experience this life to the full that Jesus talked about. And it goes back to the way we see ourselves. That what this passage is saying is that when you came to Jesus, what, what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 6 is when you came to Jesus, 
Yes, you receive this free gift of salvation, but the small print was that when you give your life to Jesus, you belong to him. You no longer belong to yourself. You've been purchased, just like a slave was purchased out of the slave market. You've been purchased with the blood of Christ. That's, that's what he paid for you. That's what it cost Jesus to purchase you, was his own blood, his own death. And so many of us, we, we go through life, we, we, we call ourselves Christians, we've, we've asked Jesus into our life, but catch this, we've never really settled this issue of who we belong to. And so we go through life and we ask God for his direction, we ask him for his wisdom, we ask him to lead us, but when he tells us, we do like this, we treat God like a cosmic consultant. And so we ask him, what's your will for my life? And then we decide whether we will listen or not, as if we belong to ourselves. Can you imagine a slave doing that? Every time the master gives him an order to say, should I obey that or not? No, that's not how slaves respond. Slaves understand the relationship. But so many times in our life, we've never settled this core issue of who we belong to. Can I tell you something? When a man or woman comes to a point in their life where they truly surrender and bow the knee to Jesus and say, I no longer belong to myself. I get it. I belong to you. And I surrender to you as my Lord. I am your slave. Can I tell you something? That person will experience a fresh outburst of the Holy Spirit in their life. That they will begin to sense the presence and the power of God in ways that they never have. The word will begin to speak with power to them. Worship will change for them. Their prayer life will change for them. Their passion for Jesus will change. You know why? Because we've finally accepted the truth about who we are, right? And as long as we go through life thinking, I belong to myself, acting as if I belong to myself, we will not experience the presence and power of God in our life in the way that we're designed to. And the reason is the Lord is not going to inspire and empower someone who's not living for him. Are you with me in this? So powerful word here. And Paul says, hey, if you're a free person, and that would take in all of us in this room, right? None of us are slaves. We've been blessed to be in a culture where that doesn't happen. That if you're free, he says, the truth about you is you've been bought with a price. And that's exactly what he says He says, similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. He says, you were bought with a price. And he says, and because of that, so don't become slaves of humans. So you don't have to change your status. Like if you're you're a slave, you don't have to change your status, your station in life in order to serve God. Well, you just need to change your perspective on who you belong to. He says, but uh, don't go the other way. Like, like also don't sell yourself into slavery because you'll, you'll lose your freedom there to serve the Lord well. And then he says for the third time, he says, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation where they were, when, they called, when they were called. Third time he said that, that if you're a follower of Jesus, when you come to Jesus as followers, of, we don't have to change our station in life. 
maritally. We don't have to change it uh, uh, career-wide. We don't have to change uh, where we're at in order to serve him well. What we need just is a new perspective, all right? So, so what I want to do is in the time that we have today is to flesh out kind of this teaching that Paul has been giving us, highlight two principles, kind of delve, uh, delve a little deeper into each of them, and then come back to the end and ask one key question for our life today. How does this apply to our life uh, today? So there in your note sheet is a section called Christ, Culture, and the Cross, Two key steps. And so Paul says that, hey, if we're going to live well, if we're going to grow, if we're going to thrive spiritually, if we're going to serve Jesus well, there's two steps that we need to take. And the first step goes like this, that we need to accept our assignment. So Let's talk about this. So this is what he says. I want to go back to that opening verse of this passage that we started off to just get clear on this. He, he says to these people, and remember, they're, they're all like new believers, right? The oldest of them came to Jesus uh, less than like three years ago. Some of them have come to Jesus even more recently. And he says, nevertheless, each person sh- um, should live as a believer in whatever situation, what I'm calling kind of a station in life, that the Lord has assigned to them. So he says that, that when you come to Jesus, you don't need to change your station in life, but you do need to change your perspective on your current situation, that wherever you're at, whether it's maritally, whether it's at in terms of your religious background, wherever it's at in terms of your social economic, you, you need to kind of change your perspective on that and see it as your current assignment. And so he said this uh, time and time again here. Now, of course, there are exceptions to this, aren't there? Um, for example, um, if you come to Jesus and you are a porn star, right? Um, there's no way you can continue to serve Jesus as a porn star. You come to Jesus as a prostitute, that's going to have to change. If, you're, if your career is a drug dealer or you're a, uh, some sort of a criminal, when you come to Jesus, that's going to have to change, right? So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, um, Paul gives an example of this. And he says, in Ephesians 4, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So, as the as passage fleshes out, we see what he's talking about. He says, if this is how you supported yourself before, right, that you, you were a thief, and that's kind of how you lived, he said, um, that, you, you can't, that's, that, that career doesn't really work. And so and he says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, kind of find some new work, doing something useful with their hands. You're going to have to find a new career that's actually a useful, provide something useful, that they may have something to share with those in need. So he says, before you came to Jesus, you used to steal to live. He says, but now you've come to Jesus, you need to work to live, and not just work to live, but work so you can give, all right? A whole new perspective on your career. And so, um, and, and so he says, uh, we, and, and that kind of leads to number two. So the first step, he says, is that whenever you come to Jesus, and I want you to think of your own life right now, your own situation, 
your own situation maritally, your own situation uh, with your family, your own situation where you live, how much money you make, uh, what you do for your career, and so on. He says that, hey, when we come to Jesus, um, that, that place where we don't have to change that station in life, we, but we do need to change our perspective. We see, hey, this place is our assignment. And that leads to number two. So number two is, he says, we need to change our perspective. Um, now, throughout this chapter, remember in verse 17, he's introducing the key principle that's underlied all his teaching up to this point and on. And so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've seen how this works out. Like he's, he's spoken to these different groups according to their marital station line. Hey, if you're married, if you're single, if you're unmarried, if you're married to an unbeliever. So he's, he's talked about this. Okay, so you've come to Jesus, and so now... Um, you're married, what does that look like? He says, well, you need to change your perspective on how you look at marriage. So remember, he said, hey, first of all, you need to have a very high commitment to your marriage. We looked at that last week. As followers of Jesus, marriage is sacred. We don't just get a divorce because we're not happy anymore. He says that you need to can no longer look at marriage like, say, Roman culture would look at marriage. You need to look at at marriage through God's eyes, through the eyes of Scripture. And remember, he said, and you also need to change your perspective on sexuality in marriage. He said, so, so in, in Roman culture, the man was the head and he controlled everything. He said, okay, no, not, it's not like that anymore. As followers of Jesus, you need to honor one another with your bodies in a marriage. He said, do you remember this? He said, a man's body, a husband's body doesn't belong just to himself. A wife's body doesn't belong just to herself, that you're, you're one now. And so you need to honor uh, each other in your sexual relationship. And he said, if you're followers of Jesus, you need to pursue a strong sexual relationship. It's one of the protections against temptation and immorality, right? So, so you're Christians, so you don't need to not get married. Um, you don't need to stop having sex. No, no, you just need a whole new perspective on marriage. Then he talked to those who were uh, single, and he said, hey, it's not necessarily more spiritual to be single. You just need a new perspective on your singleness. You can either stay single, that's fine, or if you want to get married, that's fine. He talked to those who are, hey, what about those who are married, but they're married to a non-believer? He says, okay, here, you need to change your perspective. You're a follower of Jesus. You need to look at it through Jesus' eyes. And he said, when you're married to a non-believer, uh, instead of them defiling you if they're a pagan, actually, you provide a level of spiritual protection for them. And so if, you, if, if they're willing, stay in the marriage. That's how a Christian uh, married to a nun would look at that situation. And then today, he begins to expand it out. He says, hey, it, it doesn't really matter whether you are a Gentile before or you're a Jew. You need to change your perspective on circumcision. You need to change your perspective on how our relationship with God works and how that ritual plays into it. And then he says, but the biggest example that he gives today of changing your perspective, I think, is to slaves. Because if you're a slave, this seems like a huge problem, right? Like, I'm a, I have no control. In the Roman Empire, slaves had no rights. The owner has absolute authority over you. If he wants to kill you, he can kill you. There's not a court case. That is his right. If he wants to sleep with you, that's his right. He, you, have, you have no say in that matter, right? If he, if he wants to have a big pagan party in honor of Apollo 
and there's a lot of like orgies going on, and there's a lot of worship of the gods going on, and you're called to serve everyone at this, that's your job. You you don't have any say. So imagine you've come to Jesus, um, and and you're like, hey, how does this work? You know, how can I serve Jesus when my, my, I'm a, my owner is a, like a pagan, um, kind of idol-worshiping, um, horrible person? It's interesting because, you know, when you look at slavery in the ancient world, that slavery was much different in the ancient world than slavery in our country. And as I've mentioned um, that in the ancient world, most slaves were slaves because Rome had captured an area. And so because of that, slaves could often be highly educated, highly skilled in a wide variety of ways. And so when you look at slaves in the Roman Empire, there's a huge spectrum about what their job would be. On the one end, you could have backbreaking, very highly dangerous work where you wouldn't survive long, like maybe you were a slave and you were going to be working in a salt mine or a copper mine or a silver mine, extremely dangerous, where life expectancy is very short. But on the other end, you could be a slave that your job is to be the guardian of your master's children, to raise them, to be their tutor because you're very educated. Uh, you could even be the manager, the steward of a huge estate. And catch us as a slave, you might even own your own slaves. So there was a huge, uh, huge disparity about like, what slaves did. But the bottom line is if you're a slave, you don't have any rights. You have no control. So how, so how can I serve Jesus well? How can I grow spiritually if I have no rights and no control over my life? And this is where Paul says, hey, you don't need to change your station in life. Don't let that trouble you. What you do need is a new perspective on how you approach being a slave. And so look what he says again in 1 Corinthians 7, 21. He says, were you a slave when you were called? Guess just don't let it trouble you. And now that I've taken the time to kind of, like, here's what it was like to be a slave, it's like you could see how troubling this would be. He said, although if you can gain your freedom, uh, do it. Like, if you have the opportunity to buy your freedom, go for it. He says, um, for the one who was a slave when he was called to faith, is uh, in the Lord, is a Lord's freed person. Like you need to understand that, yes, you're a slave of your master, but behind your master is your true Lord that you're serving. And so you need to look past your current master to the Lord that you're actually belong to and report to. Now, this was such a common issue in the early church that the Apostle Paul often addresses slaves in his letters of how, how like, what does it look like to have God's perspective on your station in life. So we see it in Ephesians. We see it in Colossians. We see it in a passage in Titus that if you're this week in the life group study, we'll be uh, diving into more. But I want to highlight this passage in Colossians because it's a great example of what it looks like to change our perspective on our assignment. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you, you know, to make a good impression, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And then catch this, whatever you do, work at it with what? All your heart. Well, why? He says, as working for the Lord and not for human masters. You change your perspective. 
He said, and here's why, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, he will pay you back. And he says, it's the Lord Christ that you're serving. So he says, even as slaves, you don't need a change of position, you need a change of perspective. Now, when I think of the Bible, one of the best illustrations of this perspective, change of perspective, comes from the life of Joseph. And we talked about him a few weeks ago in terms of uh, kind of sexual purity, kind of fleeing immorality. But I want to bring him back today because it's amazing. He's an amazing illustration of this principle. So this is a story we started the day with. And we started the day with the story of this young man who's called in for this surprise assignment. It's going to be a little bit difficult, perhaps dangerous. It's going to require some ingenuity, some, some grit, a stroke of luck. And this is my version of the story of Joseph. So we're told in Genesis 37, and then we skip Genesis 38, and then from 39 to the end, we're told that, uh, that Joseph uh, was the next to youngest son of 12 sons of a father, Father Jacob. Um, and, and that though he was so young, he was like the, the favorite of his father. And the, his older brothers all knew it. They were very jealous and resentful of him. And so as the story opens, the brothers are grazing their flocks about 50 miles away. Now, we don't know where they're at right now. We just know their last known destination, right? So he calls in Joseph, and he says, I want to make sure your brothers are okay, so can you go and check on them? So it's going to take several days. Uh, he doesn't really know where they are. It's going to take some ingenuity, some, some grit, some luck. But sure enough, he takes off, and uh, in a few days, he, he gets that stroke of luck. He runs into a stranger who's actually seen them. And so he's able to find them. So I want you to imagine his excitement, his joy. He's been successful. He comes over the crest of the hill. He sees them with the flocks in the distance. He's very excited. But what he doesn't know is his life is about to change. Because they have a very different reaction. They look up. They see him with his multicolored coat that his father has given him as a sign of his love and affection. And they say, here comes the dreamer. You're going to have these dreams about his future, what God was going to do. And so all their hatred and their resentment, their bitterness rises to the surface. They decide to kill him. But at the last minute, they decide instead of killing him, they'll sell him to some Arab traders who are going down to Egypt so he can be sold into slavery. So they sell him to the traders. They, he takes him down to, uh, they take him down to, um, to Egypt where he's sold to a high-level government official named Potiphar. Now, at this point in my life, I don't know about you, but I would not be real excited about the change of my station in life. And in spite of the dreams I'd had about my future, it's like, where is God in all of this? And my hunch is Joseph had to work through some of that. But the amazing thing is that in the end, he accepted his new station in life as his assignment. And instead of griping, he served Potiphar as if he were the Lord. And as a result of that, he was promoted till he was over all of Potiphar's estate. And then just when the story is getting better, all of a sudden, his Potiphar's wife, who's been hitting on him, he refuses her, and that leads in, it, it, it ends in him going to prison, being falsely accused of rape. And again, where is God in this story? You know, and, and again, maybe it took him a while to get his, his hands around that. I'm not really sure. But in the end, he trusted in God. He trusted in, what, in God's promises in his life. And in the end, he began to serve the warden as if he were the Lord. And because he served so well, pretty soon he was elevated and promoted over the prison. 
And then through a series of events, he's actually released from prison to interpret dreams for Pharaoh. And when he does, he's made the prime minister of Egypt, second in command over, over the land. Now, if you've never read that story, I really encourage you, the, the passages are there on your, your, um, your notes. It's one of the best stories in the Bible. But I think that, that Joseph illustrates this principle that Paul says, hey, wherever you find yourself, first of all, accept it as your assignment. He said, and then change your perspective and serve as if it's unto the Lord. Right? So this leads to a question, a very important question. And my hunch is this question is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be irritating. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be depressing. Um, not based on me, but based on you, right? <laughs> your response. So the question itself is good. So there in your note sheet is Christ, culture, and the cross, one key question. And so here, here's the question. So we, we've seen the principle, right? That, that hey, we're, we're, when you come to Jesus or later in life, wherever you find yourself um, is, your, is your current assignment. That we have to change our position in life, whether it's maritally or career or religious, but we don't have to change that to, to serve God well, to thrive, to grow, to be truly led by the Spirit. But we do need to change our perspective, right? So, so the question is, so what is your assignment? Right now, what is your assignment? Where does the Lord have you? What's your life situation? What is your current station in life? So I want to go back again to this key statement from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has what? Assigned them. Can we say it again? That each, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer to whatever situation the Lord has Assign them. So again, catch this, that Paul says when we come to Jesus, when we're a follower of Jesus, that whatever situation we're in is a situation, whether we like it or not, the Lord has assigned to us. And so the question I have for you is like, what does that mean about your life? What's your current situation? And, and what, is there a change of perspective that we need to have on our current situation. Now, this is so important because I don't care whether you're a brand new follower of Jesus, you've just come to Jesus, or you're a long-term follower of Jesus, that we all naturally tend to play what I like to call the if-then game. If-then game. And so, so here's how the if-then if, if game goes. If my circumstances would change then I could really grow, I could thrive spiritually, and I could really serve the Lord. But unfortunately, in my current situation, I really can't. So for example, um, if I were just married, then I could really serve the Lord. I could grow, I could thrive, but as it is, I'm single, and it's just so hard being single, and I, it's just, I find it really hard to grow. I find it really hard. But if I could just be married, then I could serve the Lord. For some of you, it's that if I just were single again, <laughs> enough said. Um, 
if I just were say, hey, for some of you, if I just didn't have these little kids, <laughs> if I just didn't have these teenagers, hey, as soon as my adult kids finally move out for the last time, Uh, here's one. Hey, if I, if I just wasn't in this dead-end job with a long commute, if I, if I just had a real job with a future in it, if I just had a boss that treated me with any respect, if, I, if, I just, if we just made more money and we could move out of our apartment to a larger apartment, if we could just buy a home, this crazy house price. We got, but if we just buy a home and have our own home, then we could really follow Jesus as a family and really begin to serve the Lord. If we could just move out of this God-forsaken state. <laughs> no explanation needed. If we, could, if we could just move to Idaho, <laughs> like a couple of our elders did last year, if we could just move to Idaho and then we could get our own place and we could get our kids out of the school system and we just have some, some space and just, we could really grow spiritually and, and we could really thrive. And we could really serve the Lord. But, but as it is, we're here, and it's just it's so hard here. Now, here's what I want you to catch. That Paul is not saying that change is a bad thing. In fact, he says, if you have the opportunity to improve your station in life, take it. Do you remember what he said? If you're single and you want to get married, and you, you meet someone who loves Jesus, and you're, great, get married. You've got that freedom. He said, if you're, if you're married to a non-believer, and it's a tough marriage, and they want to leave, you can let them go. Because God called this to peace. And he said today, if you're a slave and you have a chance to get your freedom, go for it. So I want to be super clear here that, that if God opens the door for a different station in life, that you feel like he's calling, that's fantastic, right? That's a good thing. But here's the thing. We can never fall into the trap of thinking, I can't serve, grow, and thrive right where I am. If only my circumstances would change, then I could grow, I could thrive. The reality is, Men and women, it's when we change our perspective that we begin to grow and thrive and change. And you know what? Often, it's that change of perspective that leads to a change of action that leads to change in our circumstances. And you know, when you think of Joseph, like what would have happened to Joseph if when he lands as a slave, his perspective was, oh, man, I used to have these big dreams and visions for my life God had given me about my future, but 
man, obviously, where's God in this? This is a mess, and obviously, God is not in this slavery thing, and so I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm just going to do the least possible. Um, or when he got thrown into prison, when he was like, oh, I can't even believe this. I'm going from bad to worse. This is unbelievable. Where is God in this? You know, I was honoring God and honoring his commands, but I, I didn't sleep with her. And, and look what it got me. And oh, I'm just going to like forget this God thing. Like what would have happened? He never would have grown. He never would have developed. But, there is, but the thing was, because he accepted his current situation as his assignment, and he served as if it was from the Lord, he changed his perspective. What, he grew. He developed his leadership skills, his ability. And when the opportunity came to rise to be prime minister, he was ready. And you know, many times, men, when we have the exact opposite response, when we don't like our situation in life, we say, I will wait till it changes and then I will change. And that's not the way it works. Like, let me, let me talk to some of you who are single. One is single. You're single, that, that, you know, Lynn and I worked with single adults for nine years at our previous church. And, and, there were some singles who say, I, I really want to be married someday. And when that happens, I can really serve the Lord and I can really begin to grow. And so what they would do is they kind of bounce from church to church to church. What's the hottest thing? They would never land. They would never seek community. They would never develop their gifts. They would never begin to serve. They're basically, hey, when my situation changes, I will change. And then there were others that said, you know what? This is where God has me. It's not exactly where I want to be. It's a hard place, but I'm trusting that God is in this. This is my current assignment. And I'm going to love him. I'm going to serve him well. I'm going to find a church that I believe in. I'm going to connect. I'm going to build community and learn how to do relationships in a healthy way. I'm going to serve with my gifts. And you know what? So many times you look up and you see that kind of person who's growing, who's thriving, that all of a sudden, there's someone else who's approaching it the same way, and they look up, and they find one another. And they say, wow, you have the same kind of heart, the same kind of passion. You're growing, you're changing, and you're the kind of person I would like to spend the rest of my life with, you see? So, so do we wait until our situation changes to become the person God's called us to be, or do we become the person that God's called us to be which often leads to a different life situation. Like some of you are in a dead-end job. You hate the job. You see no future. You have a miserable boss. And you can either respond by saying, well, I'm just going to do kind of half-baked work. I'm just going to buy my time here. I'm going to keep looking for, for ads for a better job. And when I get a better job, then I'll really apply myself because I have a future in it. I'm telling you, if you're doing that, you're missing opportunities to grow. That God has you there. This is your assignment, and you are to serve your boss as if that boss is the Lord. And as you do, you will grow. Your character will change. And often, that will lead to new opportunities, either within where you are or outside. And when those opportunities come, you'll be ready. 
And for those of you who are considering moving out of state, first of all, I want to be super clear here that I believe God has called certain people to move out of California. And if that's God's calling on your life, that's, that's a blessing. I've got so many friends and so many places I can stop on my motorcycle across the whole United States now, <laughs> right, that God's just orchestrating for me, just on this trip. No, but it's really true. You know, it's like, we, like God has called many people, and when someone says, hey, we're moving, my assumption is not that you're running. My assumption is you're a follower of Jesus. You're seeking him. He's opening up doors, and that's, and that's what he's calling. But here's the thing. He's called some of us to go, but he's called some of us to stay. And for those of us who are called to stay, we're called to be transformed into warriors for his kingdom, that we would be a light in a dark state, right? And so if you feel like, hey, I'm waiting to grow until I can leave this state, you're missing an opportunity. You're, what you're supposed to do right now is just seek the Lord, to seek the Lord. How do I raise my kids in a godless state? How do I thrive in a godless state? I need to become like Daniel, who's called to Babylon and forced to learn all the, the horrible teaching of Babylon about their gods and their astrology. And Daniel says, I'm gonna serve as if it's the Lord and I'm gonna become the head of my class, number one in my class. So when the time comes and they're looking for great leaders, they'll pick me so I can affect the future of this country, right? And so, so if God has you here, don't wait to grow until you get to Idaho, all right? <laughs> Let's grow here. Let's grow now. Let's put our roots down. Let's seek Jesus. Let's thrive. Let's make a difference. Let's be a light in a dark world here and now. Amen. So here's my question. My question is, hey, what is your assignment right where you are now? And what's your perspective? And is there anything that needs to change? Any perspective that's getting in your way that's keeping you from growing, thriving, serving well, that needs just a, a shift of perspective. God can grow you, use you, and together, we can make an impact for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we just thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture. It's an incredible, like, gem in the middle of a, a passage. It's a chapter just so easy to miss, and yet it's just so powerful. It's the principle that underlies the entire chapter, that when we come to you, we don't have to change our station in life. We have to change our circumstances in order to grow and to thrive and to serve you well. And so, Lord, as we, as we worship now, Lord, I know that all over this room, those who are outside, those who may be watching this later, that we're in different situations. Some of us really like the assignment we have right now. Others can look back and see times that were very painful, that we hated, but has led to our current assignment that we like. And others of us are in the midst of a very painful thing. It's, it's one thing to say this, but, to, but, but the react, we, we actually feel like slaves. We feel like slaves of our job or slaves of our where we live or slaves of our marital situation or 
being slaves or being single, whatever, that we feel like a slave, and it's very difficult. So, Lord, I pray for this, the grace of your Holy Spirit, that you would come alongside of us like you came alongside of Joseph. You reminded him of the dreams. You reminded him not to give up hope, to trust that what you've spoken in his word about his life and his purpose remain true in spite of his current circumstances. And because of that, he was able to truly surrender to you and serve you well in the toughest of conditions. And as a result, open the door to his future. So Lord, wherever we're at, Lord, as we sing this song, a prayer for you to be magnified in our life, we pray that this would be our prayer, that whatever our station of life today, wherever we find ourselves, that right here, right now, in our lives, you would be magnified. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.